Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer, joined in studio by Jeff Rutberg, Ryan Strauss, and Jeffrey Cohen, back with you on 610 AM Sports ESPN Radio. Guys, it is one of my favorite times of the year. It's St. Patrick's Day weekend. It's March Madness. The tourney's underway. Jeff, are you as excited as me? No, you're not into the tourney like oh, I am. Oh, yeah, I am. I yeah. like to watch it later. Okay. Like, later when the Sweet 16, the... Uh, uh, then when the, what the eights are called the the, the elite eight the elite eight they, and the final four and everything yeah. else are, up to now like I didn't watch these teams before so I'm not watching them now I enjoy the early rounds uh, as some of the listeners may know I I have a young son at home so I taught him yesterday that Rutgers is not often playing in this tournament right. but yeah. we still watch it and we're interested in it and that his father has used it as a national holiday for many years even if it's not recognized as one you're not so, the only one so I've been making sure to teach him the right way ryan did you celebrate the holiday yesterday by watching some basketball i watched a bit of, of basketball i'm watching the michigan game right now it's halftime so not this moment but so, so we're taping on friday and um ryan and jeffrey are going to be distracted because michigan is in the tournament and they're going to be very excited watching this game so um I, i'll let jeff take that up in a second but first we'll let jeffrey talk about how excited he is to watch michigan in the tournament and what else he's looking on what happened this week well, I can't say I'm excited to watch Michigan in the tournament because I'm here. Well, you can watch it. But but uh, I am very excited to watch the early rounds because I actually do like seeing the underdogs play those games. I love uh, it. I missed it, but the fact is, is Princeton almost beat Notre Dame yesterday. How big a story would that have been if Princeton beat Notre Dame? They did. They, they played a good game against them. There were f- some fun early games. Um, I guess the biggest upset, according to seeds, would be Middle Tennessee State beating Minnesota. Uh, somehow I actually picked that in my bracket. So uh, I was doing well until late Classic last 12 night. over 5. It was. I love the 12-5 games. I thought Middle Tennessee State should have been ranked higher anyway to begin with. Uh, I thought that they were a better team than they were seeded. Uh, I didn't think that Minnesota was as good as, as anything. But so, Jeff, you are not rooting for Michigan in the t- tournament. No, no. Michigan beat somebody many years ago that I wanted to win. Okay. And and uh, so from then on, uh, I didn't root for them. Was that the uh, Seton Hall year uh, in I don't, 89? I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but I just remember I used to root for them. What I like about them now is I like their uniforms. I like those colors. Okay. And and that's as good as any as, as far as placing bets on. <laughs> so so growing up, I remember Seton Hall played Michigan in 89 in the in the finals. That was like the Ramon Rivas team for Seton Hall. But then I remember the the Fab 5 in the early 90s and they got me real excited about college basketball to see that and the Larry Johnson teams of UNLV that ran and the Duke teams. You have that same love for Michigan these days with the players there, Jeffrey? I do. And in fact, if, if people were paying attention last week, Michigan actually, before the Big Ten tournament, was in a plane incident. The plane actually, upon takeoff, slid off the runway and crashed through a fence. So the players actually had a vote because some of them did not want to go and play. And they were mentioning this last week during the finals. The players took a vote. The majority said, let's go. They got back on a plane, made it there in the morning for a noon game that for some reason the Big Ten would not move that game to later in the day. They didn't have their T- uniforms. TV, so, TV ratings. Yeah. Well, That's why they wouldn't move it. <laughs> so, so, But they could have moved it to a later t- – they, they had four games scheduled for that day in the Big Ten, so they could have moved it to – having a noon game was unnecessary mm-hmm. for them to do that. And they didn't even have their uniforms. So they were wearing their practice jerseys, the ones that turn inside out, the pennies. So everybody should be rooting for Michigan now. 
Uh, Is that? I, I would say everybody, including Jeff, should root for Michigan. I was I was in Ann Arbor when they won the national championship in '89. I think it's time for you to move on. Well, I, I saw them beat Rutgers. I was at Rutgers. <laughs> Thank you for that I, reminder. I was, I was rooting for uh, uh, Rutgers. I, what I'm really concerned about with Michigan is that they could beat Villanova. So that's why I don't, I'm not. I, can't, I, I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah. The, Villanova did have a bit of a scare in the first half last night. They were close against Mount St. Mary's, but in the end, they, they really blew the doors off in the second half and, and made sure that that it wasn't really a game in the end. Ryan, what's caught your eye so far in the tournament? Well, I was thinking, one thing I was thinking back to that Jeff mentioned last week was that the NIT used to be a higher brand recognition than the actual NCAA tournament. And when you talk about the 12-5 matchup that everyone loves, those lower seeds are conference uh, tournament winners, mm-hmm. not bubble teams. And the reason you have that is because prior to 1975, you could only get into the NCAA tournament if you won your conference. So now you have all the bubble teams. They're not actually the lowest seeds, right? And that's what creates the debate around the tournament. It drives its own marketing in terms of Selection Sunday, where everybody can argue about whether Syracuse had a good enough season to make the tournament or not, and they should be in the NIT. If you want to talk about the seeds, this is actually the 13th year in a row that an 11 seed has beaten a 6 seed when Xavier beat Maryland yesterday. So you you see patterns that develop. You haven't seen the 16 seed go down. But every year you see these teams that are supposedly in a lower standing that do rather well and surprise people in the end. It's it's also good for for college basketball because it's good for those schools that that otherwise wouldn't make it into. You know how how exciting is it for a team like Bucknell to have their team play and play in the tournament? And kudos to Jay Wright, a Bucknell alum, who went into the locker room afterwards and gave those kids a pep talk after their loss. Good for him on that. Did you guys happen to see the Northwestern game, by the way? So Northwestern nope. made the tournament for the first time in eighty years, ever, ever. Yep. And they beat Vanderbilt for their first win, but it was such a crazy end of the game for the Michigan fans. Sorry to bring it back, bad memory. It reminded me of Chris Weber with the timeout. They had a, a guy. They went up by one point, and all of a sudden he fouled the the player on Northwestern, giving him two foul shots. He forgot the score. <laughs> he forgot the score. How I, terrible fe- is that I for felt that so bad for him. They had another chance to try and win it at the end, but it didn't happen. But the agony in the crowd shots uh, and the anxiety and then the relief and emotion afterwards. So I guess uh, former Sixers coach Doug Collins, his son is the coach of Northwestern. Doing a great job. Doing a very good job. And so Doug Collins was in the crowd watching and you had other celebrities and people watching and just the angst on their face as it went back and forth with the emotion at the end of the game. It's why I love the tournament. People but, lean on every basket. But why, if if you're going to have all 68 teams now, right? Yes. yes. Uh, so why not include Division Three? I mean, I went to Alfred University. It's only 2,500 students. Why not include them? Because well, they have a good basketball They have their team. own tournament. They, because the NCAA can make money off them holding their own tournament. Why would they mix them into another one? Because then Alfred could play Villanova or Alfred can play Michigan and... But maybe you could get, have a chance for an upset. But the NCAA wouldn't make enough money without a separate tournament. They would make less money because they would all be in one. So if we're going to look at the actual financial drivers, we can talk about the celebration of sports that is the NCAA tournament. 
but it's really a marketing machine driven by dollars. I mean, let's look for a second right, at the, yeah. just the gambling that's been involved with it. The American Gambling Association is, estimates that in total, $10.4 billion will be wagered on the three-week tournament. That's 13% more, $1.2 billion more than last year. So for as much as it's kids playing basketball because they want to win and people rooting for their teams, there's a lot of people who are rooting for their wallet as well, which certainly drives the ratings for what happens in March Madness. But g- give that rest of that uh, statistic uh, underneath there. But only $295 million is going to well, be bet legally at sports books. Right. So it's, most of that is non-taxable. 97% of the money wagered on the NCAA tournament will be done so illegally this year. And just think about that for a second. <laughs> but everybody knows it. That's what it's like. It's not something that people don't realize goes on. It's just they kind of look the other way. Everybody knows that there are bracket pools and people have auction pools and ESPN and CBS have tools that allow you to create your own pool for people to then pay you money on. So everybody who sponsors the tournaments themselves either inadvertently or directly supports the apparatus that allows for all of this illegal gambling to happen. And it's, and it's not only production at work, it's production at school. Because if you don't think that every kid that's about six, sixth grade and up isn't, or isn't also involved in the pool, you're crazy. How many? So do you guys have any idea how many brackets are filled out each year? They estimate around 70 million bracket pools are filled out. 70, e- million. 70 million. Wow. <laughs> it's always fun to... Ponder whether or not someone will fill out a perfect bracket, but the odds of that happening are actually so infinitesimal that it's nearly impossible. Anybody find it interesting that 70 million people are going to fill out brackets and the athletes and coaches that play in it can't? Another another <laughs> example of the altruistic NCAA. I mean, the, the hypocrisy of what goes on is that all these people are allowed to gamble and make or lose money on them, but they can't even do it for recreational reasons to enjoy it. A few years ago, a coach got disciplined for filling out a, a bracket. If you allow them to do that, then you, it's like the Pete Rose thing all over again. It, it or the white the uh, Black Sox scandal. If if they are the coaches can throw the game. They they have, they can bring in all their subs. I'm not and, saying and lose the game. I'm not even saying you should allow them to do it. I'm merely pointing out the hypocrisy that they will all give their blood, sweat, and tears. For everybody, 70 million brackets to be filled out, and they can't do one themselves. There's no reason that the NCAA couldn't even have their own bracket to allow the athletes to just participate in a way that it, that it, they don't have to worry about whether someone's going to throw a game over $5 or $1 just so they can participate and or, be like anybody else. Or all the money goes to charity. Well, yeah, th- but for There the, are ways to think about that. For the students, it's not about the bracket and everyone getting caught up in the hoopla of their pool they're trying they're going out there to try and compete and win a tournament and advance every round um, sure but they're kids too that's true they're, they're, they're like i always laugh when they say they're student athletes no they're not they're athletes and you make money off of them they happen to be students but everybody wants to forget the fact that they're students and they're kids and you're telling them that, that they can't enjoy something that everybody else around them is enjoying because they happen to be the people that are playing that everybody else is enjoying off of the same thing about when they have video games, and I can play somebody's likeness, but they can't make any money off their likeness being used. Well, not anymore. The O'Bannon case years ago. Well, and that's the, I wonder how long this can continue. Because you are having people having money made off of their efforts and names, and they can't participate at all. 
They can they can fill out a bracket. It's published in the newspapers. They can do that and have fun. Just for themselves. It. Just for themselves, that's all. Sure. But they can't participate in the pool. No. Well, they could do well, that's it. No fun. They could do a pool that's not for money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, sure they could, but why is it I, I just look, I I work in politics and for years I talked about how politics is the art of practicing hypocrisy without being called a hypocrite. I, yes, would, exactly. I would joke with people yes. about that. But I find the same hypocrisy when it comes to sports, that people hem and haw about how these are students, they're not athletes, and then all the rest of the students on campus can be in a pool, yet the athletes can't. I'm not saying that they should be able to. I'm merely pointing to the hypocrisy of the fact that somebody on the team's friend can be in a pool and make money off of them playing, but all they can do is go and play the game. Yeah, Boy, that sounded like a political answer, didn't it? It did, yeah. But the, the friends can't get into the NBA later on, but the these uh, the players can. The statistics and they would can make show money. you. The statistics would show you that the majority of them won't. Well, that's the, true. A, too. a, a yeah. very small minority of the players that play in college will go pro. Most of them will go and have careers and hopefully make use of the education that they got because of their athletic talent. But again, you're you're going off the assumption that because they're going to be pro, they should sacrifice as a youth, as a student, as if they're not sacrificing enough, not saying you in general, though, as if they're not sacrificing enough by committing themselves to the game. I, I, I felt for years that college, college sports should be separate from colleges, that, that they should be uh, another um, league or, or of their own. So See, I've actually thought this too, particularly for college football, just because of the amount of money that's involved. And we talk about whether or not the athletes should get paid. But what if you had a team, the um, Ann Arbor Wolverines, as opposed to the Michigan Wolverines, where it's associated with the university and Mis- gets rid of that. Oh, that Mr. Branding and Marketer. That's we- never going to happen. But but what I wanted to get to was, was you, you're actually making two points, Jason. I always make be- two because, points. Because you have, the question is, is should athletes get paid more? Well, or people argue that they are getting paid. For the majority of athletes you're talking about that don't go pro, mm-hmm. those scholarships get them to the career that they're actually going to have. Absolutely. The, but the second part of it is, is should the, the athletes, the football players and the basketball players for the most part, and maybe some baseball and hockey players, should those people should be forced to go to college as opposed to some other route? Yes. So, And, and that is the question that's, that people should struggle with. And I think they do, and I think because of the struggle, they just don't talk about it. Right. Because there isn't an easy answer. So let's let's talk about something else that isn't talked about, the lack of productivity at work during the NCAA tournament. So uh, I, for years, would go and um, watch online the scores and the games, and I loved when they created what was the boss button. Well, no, this was, are you talking about before they even had the live streams online? Before the you, you remember those days? Be- oh, yeah, I do. Well, unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember those days. But before we had a phone with a screen on it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> before you could watch it on your mobile device, you would follow along on the computer, and then they had this little button that was the boss button where you'd push it, and an Excel spreadsheet would pop up so that it didn't look like you were actually watching the game or following along and it looked like you were doing work so if you if you go off of conservative estimates they say 23.7 million employees will use company time to research construct and check their brackets and employers stand to lose 615 million dollars an hour conservative conservative so if it's applied to the high-end estimates that's 81.5 million workers will spend at least one hour on their brackets and employers losses rise to as much as 2.1 billion dollars so does everybody think that people are taking a lunch break to fill out their brackets? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I know uh, as, a, as a nurse, 
We use our smartphones to look things up, look up medications, look up uh, treatments, things like that. Uh, but if we're if we're not caring for the patient, and something happens to the patient while we're watching, well, the if NCAA, you're watching the Michigan game, you're you're, right. in, you're in trouble. We're in trouble. We'll get, we'll get fired. Now we'll lose our license and things like that. Or if I, the battery runs out and then he can't use his phone to save someone's life. But I wasn't at a job that was so critical at the time that um, somebody's life depended on me not watching a stream. And so there was a loss of productivity to my employer. Now, some people could say I would find something else to do at that time anyway. I would go and be on Facebook or texting on my mobile phone. I happen to think it just provides more opportunities. But do you guys, be honest, how, how many of you focus on the tournament more than your work at the start of the tournament? Well, fortunately for me, or unfortunately, I was in a deposition, so I couldn't watch. You could yesterday. not watch. If I was sitting at my desk, sure, I'd be watching. So I was home with my son, and so we watched together. Again, I explained that Rutgers is not in this tournament, like not in many tournaments, but I did explain to him the importance of the first day of the NCAA tournament now and how exciting it was. Your son is all of what, a, a month old? Uh, right? Six so, weeks old tomorrow. Okay. So he's he's getting taught young. You know, it's slowly we're gonna we're gonna teach him about it. Eventually, he is going to understand what you're saying. Yes. And he's he gonna still have won't his, understand. A, a what mind, I'm saying. Eventually, he's gonna have a mind of his own, and he's gonna let you have it. He, and then he, he's gonna go to Michigan. He, he will not do that. <laughs> he will he will reply in kind. Jeff, why don't you take us to break, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more. Okay. You're listening to the Heart of Sports on six ten a.m. We will when we come back, we'll talk more about the NCAA's, but we also want to talk about the Eagles. So stay with us. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey. Those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Great to be back with you on the Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. I'm Jeff Rutberg, along with Jason Springer, Ryan Strauss, and Jeffrey Cohen. Okay, guys, I prematurely moved on to talking about the tournament without figuring out who you picked. Jeff, you first. Who did you have winning the tourney? Villanova. Okay, Nova. Who did you have, Ryan? Gonzaga. 
Okay, I had UCLA. Jeffrey, I think you had them too, correct? Uh, I did not go with my heart. I went with my head. And so I you didn't UCLA. go with Michigan? No, I did not. So uh, did, when do you have Michigan going out, just so our listeners can be aware how far you railed on your team? In the second round. See, and that's why it's good to have a team like Rutgers not make the tournament, because then you don't have to feel like you're bailing on them. It's okay. So UCLA brings me to an interesting question. Uh, for our listeners who aren't familiar, they have a star player, Lonzo Ball, whose father is making just about as many headlines as his son is. Right, Jeffrey? This got your attention. What's going on there? I, I'm shocked to hear, anytime I hear a parent talking about their kids, it's okay to be proud of them. You should be proud of them. But you know what? They're adults now. They're young adults. They're about to be on, they're on the, the cusp of their own careers, and they have to manage them for themselves. So when you have a dad who's sitting there saying, he's got, th- by the way, he's got three kids. Apparently one's better than the next. And the oldest is Lonzo, who's at UCLA as a freshman, and he's definitely going to go pro after the season. And his father's out there uh, barking that he's going to he's going to get a contract for sneakers for a billion dollars for all three of them. So he wants a billion dollar shoe deal, and you have to sign all three of his sons. You can't just sign one of them. It's all three. Now, Jeff, you have a question about what that does for their eligibility, separate from whether it's good or bad parenting. Yeah, if you if you go to the, I've gone to the website for, for the NCAA, and there's a whole section on amateurism. And one of the first things it says is, you are not an amateur if you take any money for profit. So if you can't have a sneaker deal or an endorsement deal while you're a college player. So if you have Lonzo Ball, he goes pro this year. If he signs a sneaker contract for a billion dollars, he can't have it with his brothers because his brothers would then be, not be eligible to play. And even if his dad comes out and says, no, no, this is a billion dollars just for Lonzo. First of all, no one's going to believe it because LeBron doesn't even have a billion dollar deal. And second of all, he's now invited scrutiny on his other two kids. And chances are they're going to have to go play in Europe or do something because you can't go straight to the pros. He's getting a reaction from lots of professional athletes who often have opinions. You had Charles Barkley respond to... LeVar saying that his son would be better than Steph Curry after playing 30 games in college. Sort of along the same lines you said, I know you can be proud of your son, but at some point it becomes stupidity. Then you've got LeVar out there saying that back in his day, he would have been beating Michael Jordan one-on-one. So is he just one of those parents who's kind of out there driving their kids? Or is he truly causing a problem for his kids in terms of their eligibility? I th- I think he is inviting scrutiny. Whether it actually turns out to be the case, that's a whole different story. But you heard, I don't know if you heard, Steve Kerr now said, basically said that dad's starting to cause problems for his kid. Well, it's not good when the teams that could potentially draft your kid are starting to worry about you as a parent. Jeff, you remember this years ago from Eric Lindros, you, right. you shudder to think about the Lindros family and what they did with the Flyers. Absolutely ruined his career. He was uh, uh, trying to extend his contract, and there was problems with concussions, and and uh, the, here comes Daddy coming down and, and uh, messing everything up. And, and that was that was pretty much the end of his uh, Flyers career. He was, what, traded or went assigned as a free agent? or He was gone. He went to uh, where, the, the Rangers or the Islanders? The Rangers. And, and he and was... And the Maple Leafs. And, and, yeah, yeah, and he was... And and uh, and then and then out of uh, hockey, all because of his uh, daddy getting in the way. Well, I think his parents caused problems while he was a flyer as well. The, there was no oh, yeah. love lost between Bobby Clark and Carl Lindros. But that's not the only time we've seen parents extremely involved in their kids' lives. You have Floyd Mayweather Sr. as a 
in boxing with Floyd Mayweather Jr. They've had an on-off relationship. The one that always comes to me is Richard Williams, the father of Serena and Venus Williams, who's been pushing his kids since day one. And then, Jeffrey, you and I talked about Todd Marinovich. You remember his story. Do you, do you remember the stories when he was a young kid? This kid was apparently, from the moment he was born, was put on a diet and, and taught to throw a football, wasn't allowed to go out, really didn't have a social life, got to USC, and just went bananas. He was, you know, and that's what happens to these guys. They're put into these regimens, and, and they're told that they're going to be pros from the moment that they're born, and they don't have a life. So are you telling me that I should not be putting my six-week-old son on weight training yet? Oh, I no, think you should. A little, little bit yeah. early for that? <clears throat> Well, just as a side point with uh, the Ball family, LaMelo Ball, um, the brother of Lonzo, in the high school game scored 92 points. But unfortunately, he was cherry-picking almost the entire game, getting the ball thrown down the court to him so he could get easy layups and run up his point total to look good for the national media. And I think, I mean, I have no clue, but I would be surprised if the father didn't have any role in that. Well, Lonzo, when he was asked about it, said, like, this is who my dad is, basically. He did not seem surprised by the reaction of his dad. And and you can't be necessarily responsible for your parents, just like your parents can't always necessarily be responsible for the actions of their kids. But, Jeff, you've seen this as a coach in, in travel leagues with, with parents that go a little bit over the line in terms of it. We all want to think that our kid's going to be the next Babe Ruth and the next Wayne Gretzky. The fact is, is that most aren't. And, and you want kids, the kids who succeed are usually the ones who love the sport. And if you, st- there, was, there was a kid on, on one of my baseball teams who, that kid was doing push-ups when he was six years old before practices, all sorts of stuff. And you could see by the time he was 10 or 11 that he just didn't want to be there anymore. And it's baseball. Kids should love to be out there playing. Was he doing it because he wanted to be there or because his parents wanted him to be there? My impression was that he was doing it because his dad wanted him to be there. I know when, as a parent, though, when my daughter, Leah, when she plays basketball, if uh, she throws up an air ball instead of uh, trying to hit pass to the open person, uh, open, open teammate, I'll sometimes jump uh, right off of the uh, bleachers and start screaming. So are you a helicopter parent and, uh, like that? No, but, uh, but you know, uh, what are you doing? She doesn't listen to me anyway, so <laughs> she just goes on and goes play defense. <laughs> she's, right? she's like, who's that guy screaming in the crowd? <laughs> That's right, yeah. She's like, I don't know him. I've never met him. Sometimes, but, sometimes the coach looks at me and tells me, you know, calm down. I, I mean, I, I drive around and I, I laugh sometimes. It's unfortunate. You see the signs for, like, two-year-old soccer. Like, what two-year-old can play soccer, that there's a sign out there. For hey, we got to win the World Cup somehow. Come I, on. I understand that, that we need to get a, a pipeline going for talent, but at what point is it just pushing your kids to live a dream that you could not in, instead of just encouraging your children to be successful as they can be? And that's my concern with it is I don't care whether it's sports or uh, politics or music or any type of art or something, you can push people but they have to want it themselves. You can't make somebody live your dreams. I agree. And I think in America, we, for a long time, have had a problem with just overly competitive high school and middle school sports. I mean, youth sports at all levels. We travel and parents get involved to pay money and I think go we drive just have all a, over the place. I think we just have a problem with competition. 
Well, no, I mean, we, look, everything we, is a competition. No, Dating I, is a competition with The Bachelor. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're, you're fired on The Apprentice. Everything's a competition about winning. Politics, instead of covering the actual issues, it's covered as a horse race. So as a society, we are conditioned to the competition at this point, which I don't always believe is no, extremely see, healthy. See, what I, what I see with youth sports is not about competition because most of the parents don't really care if the team wins. What they care about is what their kids' own statistics are. Yes, how they much want, time their kid got. Exactly, and you know why? Because this is all about money now. This is about them believing that their their kid's going to play in the major someday and is going to buy them a house. Or a lot of them are, are driven by scholarships. Every time there's there's these these phases of time where people find what sport is the next sport that's going to have a lot of scholarships. And, and parents start engineering their kids towards those scholarship sports. I remember years ago, somebody told me that I should do crew. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, the, still, that's still one of the ones that the, kids in high school No, doing. forget the fact that I get seasick in a bathtub, okay? <laughs> like, there's no way that I'm going to get in a boat and get a scholarship for it and be out there every morning. Like, I get it. I, I understand. But you're right. I, I think that the financial incentives often push it. And it is the individual that perpetuates sort of the problem that we have. It's not about the team anymore. We talk about sports in terms of the team and the benefit for the community. But there is that side of sports now that is the individual and the me culture. But the, but the, to me, the solution to that is, and it's hard because the parents are in control, is you have to have a strong-willed kid and you have to have family at an arm's length. You can't have them managing their careers and managing their money. Look what happened to Ryan Howard. Ryan Howard was making $20, 25000000 million a year, and a lot of that money apparently disappeared because his family was managing his accounts. I, bl- yeah. I believe in professionals. See, that, that's why I want to separate the sports from colleges. That uh, if, if, they want, if they want to uh, play, then they should be paid for it, okay? And if it leads to an NBA career or an NFL career, fine. But uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, kids are in college to to learn, uh, and, and ac- it's academics. And, and that's, that's why, do, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how to resolve this. As a sports fan, do you ever find a conflict with your desire to want to watch sports with your thought of that they should be academic institutions, not institutions that should prepare people to play in those professional leagues that you watch? Well, uh, yes, in, the, in a sense that, uh, f- for example, grambling. Grambling uh, University is a state uh, school down in uh, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about their academics. I know that they they uh, provided a lot. They they trained a lot of uh, players that went to the NFL years ago. And when only when I got down to LSU did I start asking about Grambling. Like, do do they have liberal arts? Do they have anything? I no one knew, knew any. I didn't know anything about Grambling. Uh, but the same could be saying about some of the schools. I feel that are jock schools, the University of Michigan. Uh, hey, 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 you got two guys yeah, in studio I, I here know. And it's who only, be, aren't going to like that. I know, but then they're, and they're both, they both got their degree from University of Michigan, that there's other, other programs there that Michigan is known for. So is Penn State and so is Temple. So before Ryan and Jeffrey jump through the microphone, right. is the fact that a school supports athletics or has a strong athletic problem, and in, or in, in, an athletic program, an indictment <laughs> on their academics. Can you be both? And and that's where, I mean, I would think that Ryan and Jeffrey look at it as they went to a very good academic institution that also happened to have very good sports teams. They, it, one didn't detract from the other there. Well, the, the issue is with scholarships. 
And that there's, there's some really good students uh, nationwide that don't get into schools because they can't afford it. It's the, it's the basketball player that gets the scholarship and not the, uh, the future chemist. I completely agree. And I saw Dave Brandon, the former athletic director of Michigan, speak one time. And he said, you know, if someone makes a huge discovery in our hospitals and our research the f- that's not going to be in the front page of the paper. No matter what, the football score is what's on the front page, and it drives the branding so much. And personally, I I love my Michigan football, and I know plenty of people love their college football and basketball teams, but I do think it's bad to have such a close alignment um, between college athletics and college scholarship, and most of it is due to tradition, right? In Europe, in the European model for soccer, they just have youth academies, where the education is very light, and then by the time they go to uh, what would be college, they just go professional. And we have that in baseball. You even see a lot of high schoolers just go right to the minor leagues. But with basketball and football in particular, the question becomes, can you have like an independent minor league for that age bracket? Jeffrey, I'll let you make the last point. Before I, we I have to say I, I disagree with that. I don't think that that the 12 or, or 15 basketball players are keeping any, anybody from getting into a major university. When they have 30 or 40,000 people, they're making sure that, that the, the right people are getting in, especially with regard to different disciplines. You, you can have a great research school, great education, and the sports adds to it. It's a complement to it. It shouldn't control it, but it do, it's a good branding thing because you said that the only way you knew Grambling was because uh, you saw them in a football game. The fact is, is that will drive more people to apply there and make the school better. So it, it can work as a complement as opposed to a detriment. I happen to agree with that. I, I, I think that there has to be a balance, though, between the funding on the education and the funding for sports programs. And I, we're going through that with Rutgers now in the search to be a big-time Big Ten program the upfront investment costs at a time where you see state dollars being cut from education funding is very difficult to justify even as a sports fan. And I think that becomes the challenge for somebody who's looking at it not through the lens of a sports fan, but through the lens of an alum who's looking at the complete picture of the university. I want my team to be in the NCAA tournament. I also want them to be highly ranked in all the disciplines for education. We can't always have everything we want at the same time. I also don't know that we're going to solve that conversation right now. We could move on to something more exciting, though. We could, yes, like the Eagles. We could talk Eagles. So guess who's not here anymore, guys? No more Chase Daniel. Right. He's a coach, right? Well, I I believe that he was a well-paid coach last season. Right. He apparently does not believe he should still be a well-paid coach and wants to play. Therefore, a familiar face is back in the fold. Nick Foles signs a two-year deal to be your backup quarterback, knows Doug Peterson's system, I have no idea what agreement the Eagles made to buy out Chase Daniels. Apparently, there's some offset language where they'll get some money back against the cap next year. I have no idea how Howie's managing the cap right now. It seems like we are very over it. But this was a, a busy week for the Eagles. A lot of turnover on the roster. You now have Connor Barwin at the, with the Rams. You have Benny Logan signing with Kansas City. Bye-bye. You're not upset to see Benny Logan no, go? No, not at all. He had two and a half sacks last year. I happen to believe that Fletcher Cox played much better when he had somebody else alongside him doing well. So well, I'm concerned about who will be alongside in the middle there. Oh, I think Jeff has an idea. I think uh, they can uh, sign that, uh, 
What's his name? Jonathan Hankins, I think, uh, from the from the Giants. What do you think, Jeffrey? You're not getting him that easy. No, he, he, wa- he wants a big deal, and I think the Giants want him back. And I don't see how he's going to fit into the Eagles' cap situation. I, I'm just not sure how that works. I think in the end, it's going to be a Bo Allen, or it's going to be drafting somebody. But Fletcher Cox can't do it by himself in the middle there. You also need some end rushers. Now with Barwin out. Does Vinny Curry move outside and become a starter? He's being paid like it. Right. You'll see what happens. So there was a report this week that Howie shot down that potentially Malcolm Jenkins was offered along with a second-round pick to New Orleans for Brandon Cooks. Anybody have any thoughts on that? I was not a fan of that as much as I wanted Cooks to come in. I think he's a long-term potential receiver. I enjoy Malcolm Jenkins as being a heart of the defense that we haven't had since Brian Dawkins was back there. Didn't they, they made a mistake when they, they let uh, Brian Dawkins go. So they, I'm glad they didn't do it. It's sort of like the Flyers searching for a goalie. The Eagles have been searching for somebody in their secondary since they let Dawkins go. And they yeah, got but, one. But don't you want that guy who can go like lightning down the field? I do, but I wonder if there's a solution that lets me keep Jenkins. So now I have Torrey Smith who can take the top off and Jeffrey if he stays healthy. Then I've got I've moved my two starters from last year down to my three and four, and I can try and draft somebody who has some speed. So I think that the Eagles are potentially lined up to be in a better situation heading into the season this year. But I think it's different with Brandon Cooks because of his age. He's only, he was only 23, so the valuation to acquire him is different. Also, it's more. And with Malcolm Jenkins in particular, I'm not sure that the coaching staff is as excited about him because they moved him to cornerback. I think they did that out of necessity. I agree. I think think they filled a hole that they created when they traded Eric Rowe. I will continue to point that out on this show all the time, by the way, that the Eagles chose Leotis McKelvin over Eric Rowe. Right. They brought him in and got rid of Rowe, who made an impact on New England because Jim Schwartz didn't like him. So I am suspect of the people that Jim Schwartz wants in. I think that he can be a good defensive coordinator, although I still can't stand the wide nine. However... The fact that we were forced to move Malcolm Jenkins out to play corner instead of safety because we didn't have depth because of the poor decisions that we made in terms of personnel management is, an indi- is to me, not an indictment on Malcolm Jenkins, but an indictment on the management and the way that they handled the talent on the I, team. I completely agree. I, I think, remember uh, years ago when they drafted uh, uh, Lito Shepard and um, uh, Michael Lewis mm-hmm. and... Uh, the last time we went corners that early well so now they can do it again they can draft and use their number one pick on uh, on the wide receiver or or a running back and then the rest of the draft go with cornerbacks i think that's what they end up doing i think they they, i mean we we saw this week they brought dalvin cook in um they brought leonard fournette in though i don't think that fournette is the back that they will or should take i think that a cook or a McCaffrey is more the type of back that they would be looking for for their offense. But I think you're right. I think, you know, second, third round in a deep cornerback draft, that's the direction that they're probably going to go. Oh, I'd love to have Leonard Fournette, a big bruising back that can go down the middle, but at the same time get to the corners. So would I, but I don't think that's the direction that they're going to go. I think they're going to look more for a scat back type. Um, Cook can be a power runner, but it doesn't seem like they're looking for that thunder back. But are you breaking bread with Howie? I am not. I'm not breaking bread with anybody. <laughs> so how do you know? I'm sharing milk with my son. That's about that it counts. right now. How yeah. do I know? It just doesn't seem from everything that they've done in terms of the type of personnel that they've brought in 
that they're looking for an overpowering offense where Fournette would be that back. If you were looking for that, you would have more of a blocking tight end there to, to have a heavy set line. You'd make sure that you had a fullback there to run that heavy, big offense. It just doesn't, it seems like they're looking more for somebody who can get the edge with those tackles that they have on the outside and your receivers block downfield as opposed to a bruiser that's going to go up in the middle. McCaffrey is a, a good, uh, might be a good choice because he's a bruising back and can also catch the ball in the slot or a wide, re- wide receiver. We will have to see what they do. The draft is coming up in a few weeks in Philadelphia and we will certainly be watching but before the draft guys World Baseball Classic is still ongoing who's been watching I have I watched uh the Dominican Venezuela game last night instead of any NCAA tournament after that game started I would think that you're in the minority there Uh, very much (laughs) but did you see a good and exciting game that game was just okay. It was three nothing, but uh, all week it's it's been really exciting. Netherlands and Japan advanced from the bracket overseas, and USA is still alive. Looks like them and Puerto Rico might be able to make the final round. That USA game the other night was fun. Well, they tied it in the eighth inning and won it in the ninth. It, it was it was really exciting to see that. Uh, happened. Jeffrey, have you been watching the games? Well, too bad they don't put them on when people can actually watch them. <laughs> you have the United States playing in at, the United States. At 9 o'clock. At 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. They're, the next two games that they have are 10 p.m. games. There is no, If they want to grow the sport in the U.S. and make the World Baseball Classic important to the U.S., why would they not put the games on? when half of the country can see it as opposed to 10 o'clock at night. Well, I also wonder why it's on MLB Network that half the people don't know is on their cable system, sort of like March Madness, which is the only time people realize that they actually have true TV. (laughs) I have an issue with the whole thing, though, because we're we're rooting for these current major leaguers on on, uh, whichever team you want to root for, and then we have to boo them when they play the Phillies. Welcome to the world of fantasy sports. <laughs> yeah. That's basically what That's it basically is. That's basically what it is, yeah. But you got to see Jorge Alfaro hit a huge home run for, for his team a, a few weeks ago. So you get to see some of your players playing for their countries as well. So you can cheer on your teams playing with other countries. I did find it interesting. Did you guys see that Joe Girardi had an idea for how to change yes, the World Baseball right. Classic? Run that. So he wanted to play the early games in the preseason, and then when they get to the semifinals and finals, he wants to play them during the week of the All-Star break to try and draw more attention to the World Baseball Classic and also encourage more people to play because what you can do is you back up the start of the tournament so that players are in better game shape at the start of the season, and then you lessen the injuries because you're playing midseason. Guys, Philly spring training before we finish up the show. Jeffrey, you are a minor league fanatic. You were telling me with your son you'll be doing a lot of games. You guys have to be pretty excited what you're seeing with the Phillies down in spring training. I, I think there's some exciting young guys that are going to be up here very soon. You, have, you were talking about the World Baseball Classic. You had Nick Pavetta, who I think is going to be a really good pitcher for the Phillies in a year or two, and he was pitching for Canada. Meanwhile, the guy that's lighting it up in spring training is a 33rd round pick Stassi. from a couple of years ago, Brock Stassi. You know, <laughs> he just he, keeps hitting home runs. And, and he's not even on the 40-man roster right now. But but he he deserve, he has five home runs, 15 RBIs. I think he struck out twice all spring training. 
This is a guy they have to find room for. I enjoy spring training because I don't get to go to as many minor league games, and so it was fun to me to see Dylan Cousins with the walk-off the other day. He, he uh, the is speed a speed that he has, yeah. his ability to play. You know, you hear about these players all the time, and then when you get to see them, it's exciting for them to become real. We haven't heard much about uh, Nick Williams this year. Well, this he, he's, had, he's, he's had a couple good games. I think they just sent him back to the minors. The guy, the guy in the outfield that I'd be really excited about if he could Am I, I'm crossing both fingers, <laughs> is if Roman Quinn could stay healthy. That guy is electric on the base pass, right. and he's a really good outfielder. I think when you look at the outfield and, in general, the prospects, most of them are still going to be in the minors this year. I think that when it comes to the bench spots in the outfield, as opposed to seeing Cousins or Williams or Quinn, which I was hopeful for, uh, it looks like the team is leaning more towards veteran players like Daniel Nava and Chris Coughlin to kind of fill the bench spots and push towards that over 500 record that seems like a lot of people are hoping for. I think that's a little ambitious, but again, it looks like they're trying to lean towards veterans where possible. Ryan, I think you're right, and I think that the the team to watch this year, the team if you want to go have some fun and see some good baseball, is going to be the Lehigh Iron, uh, the Iron Picks. They might win 100 games. They could be the best team in minor league baseball. All right. You're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM. It's time for us to take a break. When we return, we'll be talking more about sports. Stay right with us. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey. Those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports on 610 AM. I'm Jeff Rutberg with Jason Springer, Ryan Strauss, and Jeffrey Cohen. So on the line we have Joey DiBenedetto. He's the leader and creator of the Sixers 24-7 Facebook group. Joey, there? Yes, I am. How are you guys doing today? How's it going, Joey? Just first off, as a Sixers fan, wanted to say thank you so much for creating the group. And it's really amazing to see the depth of discussion and activity just completely exceeds any other Philadelphia sports team Facebook group. And um, I encourage our listeners to join Sixers 24-7. So let's ask you, Joey, what is the feel of the Facebook group right now in terms of how the Sixers are coming down the stretch, where things stand right now? 
Well, as you know, in Sixersville, it's um, it's been a major civil war internally, you know, with the fans. Um, you know, I, I have to say it's probably much pretty, pretty much split down the middle. Um, you know, you have your pro-process fans who, um, you know, trust the process and, you know, believe everything's going to be all right. They, um, you know, they feel like what we're doing is the right way, you know, for where we were. And uh, I'm definitely one of those people. It was uh, 34 years since we won a championship and we had never tried this route. So, you know, while I hate losing, I, um, you know, something had to give and something new had to be tried because what we were doing wasn't wasn't working. And of course, you have the flip side to that. You have the, uh, you know, the anti the anti tank crowd. Um, but tank was definitely a word I just can't <laughs> yeah, stand. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of them. I can't. So I can't. I, yeah, I, I understand, and you know, I, I, you know, I, 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 and I understand. I mean, nobody likes losing, and you know, I'll never get on somebody for their opinion on how they feel about it because everybody feels there are different ways to build a team. And yes, there's, there's, there's no foolproof way or you know, sound stone way to build a champion. But um, you know, if you think about where we were back in 2012, you know, when we made the Bynum deal, um, there wasn't many options to go from there. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we had no star, we were capped out, and um. When you have that situation, you know, you're, in, you're, you're walking up to the plate with basically one strike. So, and anything you try to do, it's either got to be, it's going to be a hit or miss. And, you know, you saw that, you know, Billy King cast us out terribly in his time. So you saw that, you know, when they tried to bring Iverson a second star. And, um, you know, we tried for Weber and um, swing and a miss. No and, good. And they still have. And again, try. Joey, they still have Ed? nobody. Embiid, he's hurt. Simmons hasn't played. He's hurt. Yeah. So uh, this whole process. D developed one person as, and he's hurt as you can tell joey uh jeff is frustrated he is mm -hmm. not trusting of the process anymore mm -hmm. uh, I'm, ki I'm kind of i'm kind of he's torn i'm down the middle i am hopeful that Embiid and simmons are pieces that will be a part of the solution i am well, basically that's all that's all that's in reality think about it, that's all we can do is be hopeful i mean you got guys that can be generational talents and you know if you really technically think about it you know, with the one and done today, I mean, these guys still, these still guys, these guys will still be in college right now, sophomores and juniors. And That's you know right. what? I know it's a, it's a generation where it's one and done, but you know, technically, you know, these guys, we, we have some time with these guys. We need them healthy. That's the bottom line. If Simmons and Embiid are healthy, then we're in great shape. The bottom line is, yes, health is key. And at this point, it, uh, you know, it hasn't uh, been that. But, you know, there's still time. I, I believe Embiid's going to be fine. I really do. Um, he's got too much. He's got too much heart and determination to not be. Uh, I think the Sixers are, you know, they're bubble wrapping all their players right now because they want to make sure everybody's okay. What about the Noel um, trade? What do you think about that? Um, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't crazy about it. Um, you know, everybody keeps talking about money, and you know, well, we're not going to pay twenty million dollars to a backup. I believe championships teams are built with certain type of players, and I believe that he's a he's a great piece to a team like that everybody needs what he brings you know and um, people want to bring up money but we got tons of money and people keep bringing up this you know well, why we're not going to give 20 million dollars to a backup you know what it don't matter to who starts it matters who finishes bobby jones aaron mckee those guys didn't start they finished he's going to get his 35 he would have got his 35 minutes a night he would have made the impact that we need defensively and um you know i i, I money to me is is just an overblown thing because you know what we have billionaire owners our, if we're a good team and we're a great team, you know what? They're going to put that money in, even if they go over the, the cap and they dip into the luxury tax. Are so, fans in the I, Facebook I, I group like. excited about Dario Saric and the way that he's come on and played late in this season? That's got to be something at least encouraging for people who are 
discouraged by what's gone on with Embiid and Simmons. Oh, absolutely. Well, Dario was uh, everybody's whipping boy. Uh, you know, they, they, they whipped on Hinky for drafting him, you know, two years, you know. You know, people just don't get certain subtleties of basketball. Like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of drafting stash, you know, guys that have. It's been going on since the 90s. Uh, actually, the 80s. You know, crew coach in the 90s with the Bulls. I mean, teams have been doing it. So people were pissed when we, dra- when we drafted him. You know, everybody wanted the sexy pick, Zach Levine. Um, but now that he finally come over, you know, people, you know, were skeptical. He had his that, you know, what he's going to do. But people have been pleasantly surprised. I mean, how could you not like the guy? The guy, is, the guy embodies Philadelphia basketball. He's You're- a hustler. He's a team player. He's gritty. He's fiery. He's everything you like in, 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 you know, in a player. I have a question, though. You said that, that sure. y- we shouldn't worry about money and that we should trust sure. that the owners are going to spend the money. In mm-hmm. theory, that sounds great. What makes you think this ownership group is going to spend the money when the time and, comes? And to follow up on that, they have not extended any player that they've drafted through the process. Embiid is the longest tenured player, mm-hmm. and he's still on a rookie contract. So I, I agree mm-hmm. with Jeff. What what faith do we have in the team that they will make those longer-term commitments? Well, I don't break bread with the guy, so I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah. So I can't speak for anybody, but I will say this. They are businessmen. Businessmen like to make money. And obviously, you know what they do for a living with the Apollo group and everything like that. They, you know, buy distressed companies and they flip them over when they, you know, when they, when their profit is large. Right now, their profit is large. But you have to think about something. When you make, when you, when you're a millionaire, you want to be a billionaire. When you want to, when you're a billionaire, you want to make even more money. The way that these owners are going to make more money is winning. So what we need to do is get this team on, you know, put a winning team on the floor. And I don't see why we wouldn't. Um, like I said, I can't speak for them, but you know, think about the Cavs. D- d- you know, Dan Gilbert. He he spends a ton of money. They're in the cap. You want to know why? Because that's that's Trump change when you're winning with the merchandise, with the TV deals, with all the money that you bring in the T-shirts. When winning, that will generate money. So I don't think he's going to spend any money now unnecessarily. Because honestly, if you think about it, what was there? What was their money to spend on now? Tell me what you guys think we should have spent on that we didn't. Well, I think they're going to lock up Robert Covington for one. And yes, Dad. Well, that, at this point, there really wasn't anything. To I wanted them on. to lock up Noel. Well, I think that's part of the argument that the people have with the process mm-hmm. is that right. we've spent these years tanking or whatever it's been, right? And we mm-hmm. don't have the pieces that we would want to lock up for the long term. Some people would have wanted to lock Noel up for the long term, but we've gone through this suffering, and mm-hmm. while we start to see the light with players. We don't necessarily have the players on the roster we well, would want to I think Sarge, I think Sarge, Covington, Lawawu, McConnell, they all deserve to be on the team for at least the next... I mean, McConnell maybe not, but the others... Well, clear, clearly, clearly our big three is Dario, Joel, and Sarge. And those guys right now are on rookie tracks. So you can't lock anybody up mm-hmm. just yet. Obviously, we didn't sign Noel because there's different, you know, different mindset. I guess BC, you know, he's... Just didn't want him around. He didn't, you know, he didn't see him as part of the future, obviously. So we didn't lock him up. I would have personally, but like I said, everybody has their own ways to build a champion. Obviously, he didn't feel Noel was how, how about, know, a part of that. So I mean, if you really think about it, you know, we haven't really had an opportunity. I mean, and people say sign free agents. All right, he spent nine million on Sergio, Gerald Henderson, Bayless. Those guys were just plugging guys to try to make our organization look a little respectable considering where we were the last few years. Hey, Joey, so Jeff I has, don't really see anybody, Joe, you know, any anything where we haven't spent the money because people just think that, you know, oh, oh, this guy's a free agent, go sign him. There's so many factors. Guys 
might not want to sign here. You know what I mean? There's, there's so many moving parts when you're talking about free agency. Do they like Joey, the city? Do they, Joey, you know, can you hear How's me? the school system for their kids? Do they, you know what I'm saying? Do they want to play here? Do they have friends here? Will their family like this, living here? So, you know, we have money, but people just think just because we have it, like, you know, people are going to want, want, you know, want it. So we have the cap space. We have the cap space and we have, the, you know, the offseason coming up and the trade deadline. A lot of people were rumoring um, Paul George. A lot of people were rumoring mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler. And we also have the potential to get that Lakers pick. Do you think that yeah. the process, so, um, you know, is it going to be sped up in the offseason? Are we going to really try and make a push more immediately to build around and bead Simmons and Sarge, or do you think that it'll kind of play out and they'll just stick to the draft, stick to signing the young guys? Jeff asked about Rashawn Holmes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like I said, I don't, I don't break bread with BC, so I don't know his mindset. But right now we have, yes, that word you don't like, assets. But assets either turn into players or turn into some, you know, or turn into another asset, and you can never have enough assets. Eventually, you have to assets have to produce on the court and turn into players because that's what it's all about. And I think it's about that time. We have a big three with Dario, Embiid, and Simmons. Now, yes, the hope of Embiid and Simmons being healthy is the key. Um, and I, I, I think we should be off and running next September. As far as the Lakers pick, that Lakers pick, I'll be honest with you, I said it when the trade happened. I said, don't be surprised if that that pick turns out to be the you know we get it in the last year when it's unprotected and. Uh, that's going to be another good pick because barring major, major moves in the offseason by the Lakers, they're going to stink again next year, and that's unprotected next year. Well, Joe, um, Joey, we will definitely keep talking Sixers, and we'll make sure to bring you back on to talk a little more about them as we get closer to the draft and look a little more about what we have as we go forward. But we appreciate you calling in and joining us today. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Thanks, brother. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week on The Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. Thank you to everyone for listening, and we look forward to talking with you again next week. Bye-bye.